Yo, this is Pastor Tito here. Welcome to another episode of my weekly revolutionary podcast, as my job is to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today, the topic was a, an interesting one. It was a rough one. Um, I mean, this was the first time in over 10 years as a preacher and a pastor that I ever preached an entire sermon focused on the wrath of God. I mean, that's, I'm going to be honest, that's not a a popular way or wave to kind of ride. Um, It's a difficult one too, but it's a very needed one. And honestly, you cannot read the book of Revelation without acknowledging and focusing on the wrath of God, which is just really makes up the majority of the book. And so in this sermon, we talk a little bit and kind of break it down. Why does God have a wrathful side and why must he exert that wrathful side? And uh, look, my, my, my heart, my biggest heart for you and for everybody is that you are not on the receiving end of the wrath of God. And because of Jesus, he made it possible for us to find a way out. But let's just kind of dive right in and uh, see how we can apply this to our lives today. We're going to pick up where we left off. And, and right now, we're going to do that right now. We're going to reflect on words that Jesus spoke in the past. Because again, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to reflect on what God has spoken in the past in order for us to look into the future, have a better perspective on our future, so we can make adjustments in the present. And that's what the whole study of the book of Revelation, guys, is all about. So right now, just so you know, for those, a lot of you guys that are watching and here, uh, things are going to change a little bit as we approach the study of this book. Number one, because time's running out, all right, I just don't have time to do everything the way we've been doing. So we are from, uh, and this is a perfect place to change it. So we're going to go now over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at different topics because there's so much happening in the book of Revelation from chapters four all the way through 20 that we just don't have the time to go week by week, chapter by chapter. So in essence, we're going to focus on topics that, and just kind of do a flyover. And so the topic of today, you ready? The wrath of God. All right. Some of y'all that just, inv- some of y'all that are hosting a watch party online on Facebook, some of y'all that brought a friend today, I'm like, out of all days, out of all days for me to bring somebody, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about the wrath of God. Pastor, I thought you went on vacation. I thought you came back in a good mood. I did, and I am. And so we're going to talk about the wrath of God with a smile on my face. And now some of you may be confused. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why does God have a wrathful side? Because he does. <clears throat> Why does he have a wrathful side? Well, I thought he was a God of love, right? You know, it's all love. God is love and all that, right? Yeah. But you know what? It's because God is love that he has a wrathful side. Love and wrath go hand in hand, okay? They do. And let me prove it to you because, look, you know different. I want you to picture right now somebody that you love the most, okay? Picture right now in your head. You can close your eyes online. You can post it online if you want to. Who is somebody right now, if you close your eyes, picture the person you love the most. It could be a spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your dog or your cat, I guess, all right? Prop, right? It can be a lot of those, right? Now, imagine something or someone is approaching the person that you love the most with the intent of doing violent harm and killing that individual, okay? Real, real talk. Tell me, would you approach that individual? Look, um, uh, excuse me, sir. Ex- excuse me. Um, can, can you, can you not, uh, um, you know, please, uh, pretty, pretty, please, uh, can you not be, uh, mean right now, and, uh, can you leave us alone, I mean, would you do that? 
right? If, if you had somebody about to approach you and approach the people that you love and hurt them, would you be kind, patient, generous, self-controlling? Yes or no? No, you would not. You would lose your mind, right? And you would lose all sense of everything. And you would probably inflict the worst harm possible on that individual to stop that person if they were going to hurt the person you love. And, I mean, so many amazing things happening there. But then there's a sense of sadness in heaven. Could there be sadness in heaven? Well, apparently there was in this moment. Because there was a scroll that was held up, and the scroll is the title deed to the world. Okay, the ownership to the world, what was handed over to humanity, what was handed over to Adam, that then Adam surrendered to the devil at the garden. And it's been said that there was a sense of sadness because who is worthy enough to reclaim the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll? And no one in heaven was worthy except one. And here we see the image of a, of a slain lamb, which is Jesus. Rise up, stands up, and approaches the throne, grabs a, hold of, of the, of, grabs a hold of the scroll, and then all of heaven erupts in worship because there is one who is holy. There is one who is worthy. One who is worthy not just to hold the scroll. The reason why is because he alone, he alone, what he did on the cross and, and obtained salvation for us through his life and death and resurrection, Jesus alone was worthy to hold the scroll. And so all of heaven erupts in worship worship now and so we get this picture of chapters four and five of just worship but then John now turns as Jesus is about to open the scroll because there's seven seals on the scroll and there's actually an ancient Jewish tradition and a Middle Eastern tradition back then that the process of, of popping these scrolls is the last will and testament that's kind of a, an interesting little thing there but as Jesus pops open every scroll we begin to see now the wrath of God upon the world and that is the topic of chapter 6 all the way through 20. It's the biggest, really, the, the biggest focus, really, of the whole book of Revelation. And uh, have you ever heard, uh, you know, the scenario, if, if, if you're a Christian, you have. Well, in the end of the world, right, look, it's just going to keep getting worse, right? You ever heard of that? The world's just going to keep getting worse. The world's going to keep getting worse. At the same time, you know that the world is getting better, too, right? Um, technology, right? Conveniences, right? That's going to be the reality. From here until the end, the world is going to keep getting better, but notice that despite the innovations and despite the progress, there's always regression. Despite the, the best that, you know, we'll experience the best of times and the worst of times. And that's what's going to be the reality. Now, when you look through Revelation 6.20, which we're going to fly over, and I mean fly. So y'all better buckle up. Hold on. Here's the thing. It's going to be really confusing to process. Wait a minute. Is, is this happening in order or is this happening kind of like at the same time? Because there's a lot of theologians that have debates on that. And so, because a lot of things that we see, not only a revelation, but when you A-B compare it to Ezekiel and, and other parts of the Bible, like Isaiah, Daniel, so many other places, things that Jesus says, the timeline is confusing. So if I can encourage you, let me give you this one little handle, ready? The same way that you watch a movie, I want you to approach the book of Revelation, what we're going to do now, right? Have you ever read a book and seen a movie, watch a show, and there's multiple timelines happening at the same time, right? You'll have this it character, and they're talking, having this discussion, and then it cuts to some other group of people that are having a different discussion, doing something else in some other part of the world or some other part of town, and then back to the people that you left off, right? And kind of goes back and forth between timelines. Are we cool with that? That makes sense? When you read a book, same thing. Now, just because you're reading it sequentially, just because you saw a scene, and then the next scene kind of happened after that, doesn't mean that that was happening, doesn't mean it necessarily happened right immediately after, right? There could be a, a time, a space, or it could be two things that are happening at the same time, 
right? And you, but you're seeing it in order, sequentially. So when you look at Revelation, don't get caught up with the sequence, okay? Just understand that there are elements that, yeah, they will be happening at the same time. And there's even elements that kind of go back and do like a, like a cut scene, right? And kind of reimagine something. You've ever seen a movie, right? And then there's a scene where it goes back in time and it gives you a new angle. And I'm like, oh, wow. And it kind of reveals something new. So kind of process that. And, uh, but the most important thing is when we look at Revelation, listen, do not. And you and I as Christians, we are not called to center our lives on a timeline. We are called to center our lives on Christ. Got it? Because that is certain. That we know. So here we go. Let's see what the worst of times is going to look like. All right, here we go. So this is what many to call the Great Tribulation. Now, there's debates on what it is. There are some, for, some Christians that believe that we're living in the Great Tribulation right now. Like, it's just kind of this span of time that is from the time that Jesus left till the time that he comes back. So some people interpret what we're about to read as just the general description of the age. In the same way that we read in chapters 2 and 3, this is how the general church is and will be until the end. Some people believe this is how the world will be up until the end. But there's also those who believe that right when the seventh seal is popped open, right, the first seal opens, that is the beginning of the greatest of all tribulations. And some believe that that is going to mark the final seven years of human history where the Antichrist, and we'll talk about him another day, comes in and creates all this peace treaty timeline. So you'll see because we don't have time to break it down. But do you guys know, uh, this is interesting to me, and it should cause us to lean forward and, and care. Because why should we talk about this timeline then? Why should we care if we're supposed to center our lives around Christ? Why? Well, do you know that we have on record Jesus' longest answer to a question that was asked to him? You know that? There is one answer that we have on record in the Bible that is the longest answer to the question. Now, Jesus had tons of questions. I'm pretty sure if he was, you know, in your face today, I'm pretty sure you wear his ear out right now, maybe asking a ton of questions. And you know what the question was that Jesus had the longest answer for? What's the end of the world going to look like? How do we know when you're going to come back? And we have that answer. In fact, you can look at in Daniel and Ezekiel, you have other Old Testament things. But Jesus' longest answer, you have to be able to read it for yourself. It's Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25. All of those give the full answer. And a lot of what Jesus says actually is played out right now in the book of Revelation. And so as we look at this, you're going to notice that the Great Tribulation has three phases. You have uh, seven seal trumpets, like, again, the seals, not a, like a not that kind of a seal, okay? You have a seven seal trumpet, uh, seven seal judgments. You have seven trumpet judgments and then seven bowl judgments. So Jesus talked about that the end of the world is going to look like and feel like a woman giving birth. All right, now who knows, ladies out here, you know, who knows how to do the math? How long is a woman in labor, not in labor, how long is a woman in, uh, you know, pregnant for? Nine months. And how do doctors and people divide those nine months? Right? Into 40 weeks and into trimesters, right? You know, have you ever called it a tri first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, right? And so there's this, yeah, there's 40 weeks of the span of time is divided into trimesters. And every trimester has, as the next one goes, the pain and the discomfort increases, and so does the frequency of that discomfort, right? Doesn't the frequency, some of the fellows, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Some of the ladies, I'm like, yeah, you bring it. Well, we were talking about reflecting on the past. Those aren't happy memories. Come on, right? And so, yeah, my wife's a champ, right? She's done it three times. And so as you go on through pregnancy, as you go on, the contractions, the discomfort, it increases. But so does the frequency of it. And you're going to notice 
that these three different types of judgments, the pain and the discomfort increases with, you know, magnitude and in frequency up until the very end. So here we go. First one are the seven seal judgments. Jesus pops open seal number one. And here, and by the way, this is an interesting uh, description. The seal judgments can also represent the world ruined by mankind. Do you guys know that the, the wrath of God is not just always direct? Sometimes the wrath of God is him stepping back and saying, okay, this is what you want. All right, I'm going to back up and let you get it. You know how many times I've had to talk to my kids? Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. And, and I let them. They're going to do it again. All right, watch this. Right? And then, I told you. Right? It was like, I told you. Right? And they get hurt. And they, boom. It's like, now why? Did I go up and hurt them? No. It was, it happened. Right? And so you're going to see that these seal judgments are really a lot of God saying, all right, part of the wrath of God is saying, all right, you want it your way? Then I'm going to let you experience the consequences of your decisions. That's part of the wrath of God. So here we go. Seal number one pops up, and we have a rider on a white horse enters the scene. And this rider on a white horse looks like Jesus, but he's not. He mimics him. He is holding a bow, has been given a crown, meaning given authority. And he, white represents peace. And he's gone into the world to conquer and to be conquered. Now, this is not only the Antichrist, but this also represents the Antichrist system. All right? It is the devil as he comes and presents himself as an angel of light, bringing and offering each and every one of us peace and hope and joy, saying, hey, this is great. Notice it's a bow with no arrow. He's not aggressive. He's not about to shoot you in the face. He's inviting. And so we have this rider on the white horse has been given authority to allow this to happen. Seal number two pops open, and now following the rider on a white horse, we have a rider on a red, fiery horse. Now, where white represents peace, red represents war and fight, and, and, and that's what that means. And so this one, obviously, he was given authority to take peace. So the peace that was offered by the devil, by the Antichrist and the Antichrist system, is removed, and he's been given a sword. And now people are at each other's throats. And this mimics what Jesus once said around this answer. Jesus said that in the end times there will be wars and rumors of wars and nation will rise up against nations. Now Jesus did not use the word that when we think nations, we think political entities, right? We think about, you know, United States and France and all these other people. Listen, when Jesus said nation will rise up against nation, he used the Greek word ethnos, where we get the word ethnicities. In essence, he is saying people are just going to be fighting each other. Listen. I'm all for, and I'm 100%, especially as a pastor of a church, we ought to do all things in order to eradicate any ethnic prejudice inside the body of Christ. Because in Christ, it doesn't matter the shade, the color shade, we are all united under the color red, the blood of Jesus. That's the color that matters most, all right? That is the color that matters most. And so inside the church, that's what we ought to do. But listen, I'm sorry, world. I'm sorry for everybody on the outside. You're going to do the best that you can to eradicate racism in the world, but how can you eradicate hate without the love of God? It's, it's, it's impossible. So Jesus is saying, oh, you, thought, you thought racism was a problem. Oh, it ain't Trump's fault and it ain't Obama's fault. It's uh, the person staring you in the mirror. It's the fact that there is a, the void of the love of God in your life. And Jesus says ra racism and, and pre racial prejudice, oh, it's going to get nasty. And people are going to fight against each other. And not just against, you know, not just color, but even, I believe, political ideologies and, and just different preferences. I mean, you can see it right now, right? I mean, you see everybody eviscerating one another, even online or in person. It's crazy. Jesus says, oh, that y'all haven't seen nothing yet, pretty much. The fire, the, then Jesus pops open seal number three. 
the rider on a black horse. This is getting better now, right? And so now we have a rider on a black horse, and he's holding a scale. And now black, and especially the scale, represents a bad economy. So now something is happening where, where the world was offered a system of living that has turned, that has caused people to turn on each other. And that turning on each other is producing what was, what was supposed to produce prosperity is now producing, you know, not. And, and the results are not what they were thought to be. In fact, there's this weird phrase here that it says, uh, you know, barley will be worth a denarii, and, and, but don't touch the wine and the oil. Let me just say what that means. It means that the, the system that we do, that as we follow the, a demonic system, no matter what, it will always impact the majority of people the most. Bre- the bread is, you know, that's obviously a, a natural thing that most people do. And the denarii is worth a day's wage. So the majority of people are going to be impacted. The majority of people are going to be impacted negatively. But the wine and oil, you know what that represents? Luxury. Meaning those in political power, those up at the top aren't touched. And tell me if those of you look, I know, you know our church is traditionally a Hispanic church. And we're an immigrant church in America. And the reason why we have so many immigrants here in America is because there's so many, i.e. my family, that has been, oh, hey, this is peace, this is prosperity, here's what we need to do. And it turns into some totalitarian, progressive, Marxist, socialist thing. And the majority of people that were, they were supposed to help are impacted, hurting, yet the people at the top always seem to be living fine. Right? That's the system that the world always offers. That's what happens, all right? And so the only equality that is happening is the, the rich and powerful, yeah, they're equally fine. The majority of us, equally miserable. Anyways, so the writer on the four, now pops up from seal number four. And here comes a writer on a pale green horse, the most disgusting of them all. He looks like a dead corpse. And in fact, that's what he represents, death. And Hades and hell is following right behind him. And he's been given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by famine and sword and plague and animals. So this is, if you've ever heard the four horsemen of the apocalypse, all right, boom, this is what we're talking about. And so but this notice that this is the progression that happens all the time. That if we choose the devil, oh, whatever he pro- offers us seems white, precious, peaceful, pure. But then it always, it, it then turns into immediately just this, you know, wrath and fighting and inju- and then all the negativity. And it ends in death. Always, not in life, it ends in death. And this is, the, this is the constant cycle that we really see ourselves. And I believe that there will come a time that it will come in its fullness. And the Antichrist system is going to be able to do this. But anyways, seal number five now. Let's keep going. Keep the train going. Now we have a picture of heaven. And we see martyrs that have been killed for their faith in Christ Jesus. And Jesus tells them, listen, be patient. Wait until the full number of people that are going to be killed for their faith have been fulfilled and then i will bring justice that's number five so god has a plan regardless if that seems fair or not god has a plan verse number six of uh, uh, seal number six pops open a violent earthquake hits the world it hits this region of the world the sun is black and so this happens especially with uh when you have massive earthquakes volcanic eruption happens and kind of blocks out the sun so this makes sense so we would see the sun blackened the moon is like turned to blood so we just kind of the atmosphere is beginning to change the way light is reflected stars and skies the land all impacted but now we have the rich and the poor and the, uh, the rich and the poor and the powerful and the weak they're all on one team now do you know what they're doing they all agree on something which is right it's hard to kind of get those four groups of people to agree on anything right they all agree on one thing, and here it says that the, all of them are going to look and they'll pray to the rocks, fall on us, and save us from the wrath of the Lamb. How interesting that we see that, that even despite this, we don't see people turning to God and saying, oh my gosh, what is, God, I'm sorry, you're real, forgive us of our sins, save us. No, there will be a people that are so cold-hearted that they will turn to nature and they'll turn to 
anything. Someone save us from the wrath of the lamb. And, and what's ironic is the only one that can save them is the lamb. It's Jesus. And they won't do it. Seal number seven happens. And now, guys, when you look at the seventh of all the seals the sev- or the seventh of the judgments, it's a transition. It's all right. So that's what happens. An hour and a half pause. Silence in heaven. Many believe this is a, represents the, it's like a waiting, um, giving the world an opportunity one more time to continually repent, turn to God and be saved, which is still an option. But then an angel comes with an incense burner full of prayers and he throws it on the, on, on the he pours it on the world and then begin, this is, I believe what Jesus said at the beginning of the birth pains. Yeah, well, we, it's just getting started. Here comes trimester number two, the trumpet judgments, all right? Trumpet judgments are really the world uh, really ruined by Satan. Because, hey, if we, want, if we don't want to do things God's way, you automatically default doing things the devil's way. And that means you're going to get what you ask for. All right? Listen, I've heard this preacher say this. There's two types of people in the world. Ready? It's the people who say to God, Lord, thy will be done. And then there's the people who God will tell to, oh, not my will be done? Okay, then your will be done. And he's going to allow us to experience that. Even if it means, you know, allowing the devil to, to kind of run loose. Because... That's what we asked for. That's what we want. Trumpet number one sounds, and it ushers in something new. A third, uh, we see hail, fire, mixed with blood. A third of the earth and trees and grass in nature is all vegetation is all burned up. We have a great mountain, which some believe to be a meteor, is going to hit, um, uh, hurled into the sea. And a third of the sea becomes blood, meaning molecularly it's, it's altered and corrupted. A third of the sea creatures in that area die. And a third of all ships that are in that area are just going to be destroyed from the impact and the un- incoming tsunami. Which is, hey, if, if 2020 wasn't even more interesting, uh, y'all heard about that asteroid that's supposed to skim really close to the earth during election day, right? Yeah, that's real. And uh, some say that that asteroid is going to loop right back. And the more it loops back, it's just going to keep getting closer and closer. So anyways, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here today. All right. Number three. Now you go. Number three. After that impact, that, that meteor, then we have something called Wormwood. Which, by the way, someone called another meteor Wormwood. I'm like, guys, come on now. Come on. Y'all read a book? Why y'all going to do this? So Wormwood then says it's going to come as a, a blazing star falling from heaven. A third now of the rivers and springs become bitter. Wormwood meteor in place in the world. The sun is up like all the time, you know. So there's going to, something that's going to happen. Who knows, maybe that asteroid might hit the world and tilt it a little bit. And it's going to change the way even we receive the light. And so, um, look, all y'all climate change deniers, I'm ready for you. Here I come. Climate change deniers. Listen, Jesus said, oh, the climate's going to change. The climate's going to change. And it's going to change in a crazy way. So climate change deniers, hey, it's going to change. But, uh, and you climate change activists. Look, there ain't no, man, no amount of solar panels and wind turbines and whatever, you know, emissions and controlling the farts of cows that you want to do. None of that is going to keep this from going down. All right? None of that is going to keep it. So just letting you know. All right. Trumpets 5, 6, and 7. Trumpets 5, 6, and 7 are called the three woes. Woe number one. Woe number two. Woe number three. Woe number one is the, tr- the fifth trumpet. And now here we see a star falling. And this star is the devil. He star- and he's been given a key to open the abyss, to open up hell. And there, which, uh, by the way, some of y'all are like, yo, why is God giving the devil the keys? Why is he doing that, right? Like if you're a parent and this, you, know, you, you, you give the keys to a kid, a five-year-old, to go drive the car and he wrecks it in your neighbor's house, who are you going to blame? Right? You're going to blame the parent. Why are you giving him the keys? Jesus, why are you giving the devil the keys like that? Like, first off, we ain't doing it. He's not doing it. We are telling God, look, we want him to drive the car. So who, you know, who is it? 
It's on us, right? And so here he's been given, oh, which by the way, there's good news about that because you know what? Yeah, the devil might have keys and the devil might be opening a door, uh, but who gave him the authority to do that? Ultimately, God is still in control. God, he had to ask Jesus for permission for the keys. So listen, God is still in control. So the devil goes and he opens up hell. And he says smoke rises up. And this smoke is deception, right? You've ever heard of like a smoke screen? Smoke is rises up and he deceives the whole world. And we get this picture of a demonic horde that looks like, uh, given the power of scorpions, that look like locusts. They're just going and they're just covering the world. And in fact, it, the, the, they're tormenting people for a time, a short time, five months, so badly that it says that people are going to wish they want to die, yet their death is going to escape them. It makes me wonder, it's like, man, what if, what if God is going to allow it a certain time period? Which, by the way, if, if we're looking at the seven-year tribulation, as we get to the seven uh, trumpets, this is when the Antichrist breaks the peace treaty halfway through. And this is the nastiest of the nastiest all this way through. What if this is saying that, that, de- that demons are going to have so much now free reign that they're not only going to torment people, but people are going to want to commit suicide and these, to- and these demons are going to keep them from committing suicide, keeping them alive just to mess and torture them some more. That, that kind of is what it sounds like. This uh, picture of the devil, he's been given the name Abandon Apollyon, name destroyer, because that's who, G, that's who the devil is. He is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. Trumpet number th- two sounds, which is the second woe. I'm sorry, trumpet six, which is the second woe. Four angels are released from the Euphrates. And these are, again, demonic spirits. And, and a third of humanity is now um, impacted and killed by the remaining, by fire, smoke, sulfur. And again, we get another picture on the sixth trumpet. As people are refusing still to repent. They're refusing to turn to God. And God is still giving them an option. There is still a way out at this point. Yet people, there will be, there will be some people who will. But there will still be people who won't. And, and here we see the death and the resurrection of the two witnesses. We'll talk about that another day. If this is all happening around the seven-year tribulation period, according to all of this, some people estimate by now half the world's population would be dead. And then comes... Uh, woe number seven, which is the, uh, which is the seventh uh, trumpet. Which, by the way, before we die, I got a, I got a verse I want to show you. Let's look at, at Revelation chapter 10. This is right at the end of the sixth trumpet. Right before the seventh trumpet. Look what John says in Revelation 10, 9, and 10. If we can put it on the screen so everybody can read it. It says this. John says, I went to an angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. This is not the same scroll that Jesus was holding. This represents the whole book of Revelation, the message that Jesus is telling John. And the angel said to me, take it and eat it. Meaning just kind of really believe it, consume it, receive this message. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Chapter verse 10. He then says, then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. So, guys, what what did I tell you about the wrath of God? It's what? Bittersweet. The wrath of God is bittersweet. So here, when he is saying, he's receiving the full message. And by now, in this point of the book of Revelation, chapter 10, John is seeing all of these horrific things that are happening to humanity. Happening to an unbelieving world. To unbelievers. He is seeing the horrors of what is happening. But then he looks to heaven... And it's not happening in heaven. It's not affected in heaven. In fact, people, there's praise and there's, there's just a different environment. I mean, you could not have two polarizing sides. And so, and this is the bitter sweetness of the wrath of God. The bitter part of the wrath of God is that it's real. 
And as he's seeing everything happening and, and it hits his stomach, like it's like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe people, people still have options to repent and be saved and yet they refuse. And so that reality is bitter to his soul. But what is sweet about the wrath of God is that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, there's a way out. There is a way out. But that message becomes bitter because it's like, oh my gosh, but there's so many who have a chance and they refuse. That's bowl number six. I'm sorry, trumpet number six, which again, this is part that it gets even more bitter. Because as the seventh trumpet sounds, there's no more chance for repentance after this. Jesus says in the last trumpet, there's others when it says when the last trumpet sounds, there's no more. That's it. It's over. And so we're about to get to that point in history when the seventh final trumpet sounds. And the bitter reality for that John is experiencing is, is that there's going to be they're going to die in their sins forever now. There's no more chance. Trumpet number seven sounds and it's the final woe. It's the last woe, which, by the way, in uh, I want to say it was in number six. All of these woes, there's an angel, an angel, an eagle flying around saying, watch out, right? Watch out for those who remain on the earth, meaning unbelievers, right? Watch out because, listen, this is coming. Woe number seven, trump, trumpet seven, woe number three. The final destruction of all things, everything's put together. God is just, I mean, eviscerating now his enemies because now is the transition of how he's going to do that. And so here, we, there's kind of like a prelude. There's a pause in the message. Remember the cutscenes that I was telling you about? We look at chapter 12, and it's like a cosmic cutscene of this interaction in the cosmos, in the, in, the, in the stars, of this woman, which represents Israel, the dragon, the Satan, trying to consume the baby. And then just kind of really this kind of cosmic replay of the struggle between, really it's not the struggle between God and the devil, because God ain't phased. Listen, God ain't phased. It's a struggle between the devil and what he's trying to do with God and ultimately failing the whole time. So that's what chapter 12 is. Chapter 13, we get a pause. We get this introduction to the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, which we're going to talk about a different day. Chapter 14 is angelic proclamations to the world. And then as this angel has been given a sickle to bring final judgment on the world. And chapter 15 is all about the preparations of the bulls. And now here is the worst of the worst. This is now God not ruining the world. This is God reclaiming all things, about to make all things right. So bowl number one is poured out on the world, and the painful sore comes on all of those who have the mark of the beast, which I'm going to do that in a couple weeks. Uh, bowl number two is poured out on the world, and now the remaining sea, everything that's left in the sea that was fine is now corrupted. All sea animals are dead. The rivers, uh, bowl number three, the remaining spring waters, all turned to blood, all contaminated. There is no water no source of good water on the world at this point. Bowl number four, now the sun is scorching people with a fire intensity. So maybe there's just solar flares. I mean, the, the, all of nature is, is out of whack right now. Y'all catching this? All of nature is out of whack. And it almost looks like God is, it's, if you look at creation in Genesis, this is creation in reverse. This is literally creation in reverse. God is undoing what he did in order to recreate it all over again. And then bowl number five pours out. The throne of the beast and the antichrist is, is being judged. The king, his kingdom plunged into darkness, cursed by God. And all of those who did not repent are now sent in and judged as well. Bowl number six, the kings of the east and the, and there's, uh, are, are per, you know, coming around now. And this is the remaining 
uh, the remaining people that are, are, are left on earth. And, and it says here, unclean frog spirits, whatever, why frogs, I don't know. But frog spirits, which represent demons, then kind of get everybody to kind of one more chance, one more against the, the lamb and the, the one who sits on the throne. And they're going to gather at Jerusalem in order to fight. And this is what's called the final battle, battle of Armageddon, right? Any of that stuff right there. And Jesus now pauses for the first time in a while. And now we have those red letters, and Jesus' personal words are interjecting. He says, I will come like a thief in the night, which is a phrase he uses a lot. By now at this point, listen, Jesus is pauses enough to warn us. Listen, if, if you're going to wait to get to this point, it's too late. And that's the reality, guys. Sometimes we wait, and sometimes we'll wait too much. It's too late. And so here's the thing. Now bowl number seven goes, the last one. And now an angel screams, it is done. It's done. It's over. It's over. And that's an interesting phrase because when Jesus was on the cross, what did he cry out? It is finished, right? He took the full wrath of God on himself and he paid for the penalty for our sins so that all who call on the name of Jesus can be saved and be accredited righteousness. But now the final judgment comes on because there is, for God to be a just God, he has to judge sin. And now, now an angel will declare, it's over, it's done. Sin and the devil and all things have been judged. It's over. We can breathe. And you know what's amazing is that we see there, on, even on the last bowl, people, the pain will be so difficult that people will be blaspheming God. Do you know that hell is not going to be full of a bunch of sad, crying people? Sad, hell is going to be full with a lot of bitter people who are going to blame God because they're going to think, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I'm a good person. Why don't I? And they're going to think God is unjust. And, and that's, that's the corrupt nature, the deception that we have to be careful about. So, do you see what I mean about the fact that the wrath of God is bittersweet, right? What is bitter about it? The bitter part is that it's real. The bitter part is that the wrath of God is real. But the sweet part about it is that we have a Savior who made it possible for us not to experience the wrath of God. And so what did we see in heaven? We saw people experiencing the wrath of God throughout this whole time. And what else did John see? People in heaven worshiping. There's two groups by the end of the day. There's going to be a group of people who are going to be reeling because of the wrath of God. And then there's going to be others who are going to be worshiping God because of what he did, because he saved us. By the way, have you ever thought about that? When he says Jesus has saved us, saved us from what? From his wrath, from the judgment that he has to bring upon the world. He has made it possible to save us. And that is why as Christians, we worship, we express worship because in Christ we won't have to experience wrath. Y'all catch me on that? We experience worship because in Christ, we will not have to experience a wrath that we deserve. A wrath that should belong to us, yet out of the goodness and grace of God, he made it possible for a way for us not to experience that. And so then what do we do with this bittersweet reality? Well, let's look at John. I'm going to read one last verse, and we're going to sing a song today to wrap up. Look at look what John says. I'm sorry, look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read chapter, chapter 5, 1 through 11. What do we do with this bittersweet reality of the wrath of God and the love of God? It's this. Chapter 5, chapter five verse 1. About the time and the seasons of the end, Paul tells the Thessalonians, Brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. You don't need any more explanation. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord, which is what we've been talking about, the final wrath of God when he brings everything upon the world, the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, remember the rider on the white horse? Then sudden destruction, the red, black, and, and pale. 
Then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains on a pregnant, pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, you are not in the dark. For this day, for this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us, here it is, God did not appoint us to wrath. For us all in Christ Jesus, we will not experience the wrath of God. Instead, he says, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus who died for us so that whatever, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That is the sweet reality that we have that love of God. And listen, the bittersweet reality of this, the wrath of God should lead us to do something. Look what Paul's saying. It should lead us to worship God for his goodness, but it also, that worship should lead us to work. Because, listen, the bitter reality is that we have friends and family that if they die today and if the day of the Lord came today, that would be their reality. And my fear and my prayer this morning that was heavy on my heart is there's probably people watching online. The likelihood there might be somebody in this room that that would be you. And that's not what I want. That's not what Jesus wants. The bitter reality is that it will be, for that will be the reality for many people. But the sweet reality is that at this point, there is still a chance, there is still a way for us to not just be saved from something, but saved for something, for a relationship with Christ, for a living, walking, breathing, life-giving relationship with Christ. That's what we are saved from, the wrath of God, but we are saved for experiencing his love. And that work should lead us to pray for our neighbors, pray for our nation, pray for our love ones pray for our co-workers like we've never prayed before but also let that prayer should translate to a life that is that translate to a life that we stand to our feet in what we do as we point them guys that's what worship is worship yes is the songs that we sing it's what we declare but worship is ultimately expressed in the life that we live as we point others to christ and right now listen right now you look at 2020 and you know what one big theme of 2020 has been other than the craziness has been government restrictions of worship. Now, yes, there's COVID principles and, and health, and I get that. But there's, there's those that have taken advantage to go even further. And here's why the right to worship is so important. Because as believers, we express our worship towards a God because of the hope that we have. Because of the hope that we will not experience the wrath of God. And we worship in hopes that many more will not have to experience that same wrath. We worship so that the lost can bring the bitter reality of their sin to Christ and find out how sweet his love really is. And we worship not because it's our right, even though it is. We don't worship just because it's our right to. No, we worship because we are called to point a lost and dying world to the only one who can make things right. And that is Jesus. Jesus. Now, that wasn't so bad, was it? It was actually really interesting to be able to 
understand, obviously, that needed and really to confront the fact that the wrath of God is real. But you know what? The fact that the wrath of God is real also confirms that his love is real. And that's what's most important. Understanding and receiving the fact that Jesus made a way. He paved the path so you would not have to experience the wrath of God. And because we don't get to experience the wrath of God, we ought to express our worship. That is honestly, our life should be a response of worship to the fact that God has saved us, not only from his wrath, but he has saved us for himself. So I want you to hold on to that this week. Let that set in your heart because you know what? That's what a revolutionary, the kind of revolutionary the world needs is all about. Someone who is revolving their life around Christ because of the fact that he saved us from something and saved us for something. And the more we revolve our life around Christ as an expression of worship, we do so to point the way so that others won't have to experience the wrath of God as well. Just focus on that as we're going to continue the series. And next week, we're going to kind of double back a little bit because uh, today we only talked about the what and the how of what's going to happen, you know, that's in the book of Revelation, but we kind of skipped over the who. So we're going to focus on a few who's who's next week. So until then, see you later.